You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And yes, welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your frogman, Daniel Horowitz, back from vacation, all bitten up by mosquitoes. And I have a terrible cold, but it was a good vacation nonetheless. Great to be back with you guys. You know, I haven't gone for four days without internet access in who knows how long, and that was probably the best part of this vacation. Um, The worst part is just know when you're on vacation with kids, you're always going to eat their food and drink from their cups because you're always on the run. And the three-year-old always has a runny nose, and it never seems to bother him. I happen to think this stuff just manifests itself worse with adults, so I go and catch his cold. Um, I'm feeling fine. I just just lost my voice here, but um, I figured you guys, after a full week without hearing me, you'd rather have a frog than nothing. And we will have a special guest on the show today, Eileen Smith, as I warned you guys last week, we were going to have a very special show, Um, a victim of illegal immigration, someone whose son was permanently separated by illegal immigrants, permanently separated. That's the key word there. Um, But anyway, you know, it's funny. As I I was going, I was thinking, man, what's going to blow up? You know, I, I made sure I went away this week precisely because it was a holiday week and the news cycle would be slow. And, you know, it was relatively slow, but it was actually a lot busier than a typical week. So I'm going to have a piece coming out today and we'll link to in show notes that just goes through stories you might have missed. I might have missed, too. Um, I know many of you come here to get news and you're probably ahead of me because I'm four days behind. I don't know. I don't even know what's going on. But the little I've seen, it all gets back to stolen sovereignty. It's just – it's it's unbelievable. The courts and immigration, and it ties into Trump's Supreme Court pick. And, and, and by the way, I'm not going to be doing much on that until Monday night. It, at this point, it's not worth um, gaming that out. Obviously, it's not looking good. It appears that some of the better ones or some of the – yeah, I mean some of the better picks are no longer in contention. I said all along, Mike Lee is the surest bet. Amy Barrett appears to be pretty good, too. Uh, and unfortunately, it looks like Lee is out and Barrett is kind of down on the list. Um, but, you know, you guys already know. Look at what the lower courts are doing. Just look at my piece that's coming out today, and you'll see it doesn't make much of a difference until the Supreme Court starts reigning in these lower courts, until Congress starts reigning in these lower courts. I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make, and you're not going to hear that perspective elsewhere, but I think it's very true. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, every year I go back and forth over whether it's worth taking a vacation when you have three small boys. And my boys are eight, six, and three. And it is, I'm just so tired from it. My wife and I, every second, have to provide them with activities. And, you know, it's harder to deal with them when they're not at their home base. We rented a 
a Creekside cabin somewhere in northeast Pennsylvania, close to the Poconos, not quite in the Poconos. And uh, my gosh, we got bitten up by mosquitoes like anything. And the kids are just so demanding. Oh, my gosh. By 8.39 at night, we're just so tired. So I actually need a vacation from the vacation. I'm curious what some of you guys with families do when you have young kids, how, how you – how you're able to recharge yourself with kids. Um, but nonetheless, look, you know, I'm thankful for the time out, just not checking the news every second and entertaining calls. And, you know, I, I even had a friend who was seeking help on a congressional committee to get testimony submitted. I, you know, I helped him in the end. It's just, it never ends. It never, never ends. So I, I'm thankful for that break. I'm thankful for, you know, the time with the kids, as, as frustrating as they are, um, it was nice, you know, just being able to do wholesome activities, build fires, things like that. And uh, even though they were just so, so demanding. Uh, but you know what? You know, I was thinking, and it's a good segue into this show. Um, I got three boys, and I guess I need to be thankful for having vacations like that. Um, the guests we're going to have on the show would have had three boys, but only has two boys now because her unborn son was killed by an illegal alien drunk driver. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about her as I was driving back because <clears throat> I knew I'd be doing the show today. And I, I don't spend too much time on the roads. I really don't. I don't travel a lot. I'm kind of a hermit here in my, my uh, bunker, but it's nothing like Mark Levin's bunker. Anyway, I was thinking on the road just how terrified I was of cops every second. Um, they're just always creeping out in those holes. And you know I'm the biggest supporter of law enforcement around. This is not really the fault of the police. It's the fault of our government and our priorities. And, and you know, there's dangerous drivers. There's drunk drivers. There are people that go 90, 100, and it really doesn't fit. But then there's times when, especially when you're going into mountains, but you're still on an interstate. So it's not windy. It's just up and down um, where I downright have to go into low gear, not because it's twisting. You know, on the country roads, you have to go into low gear sometimes. I have to go into low gear to avoid cops, to avoid getting pulled over. And, and it's, it really creates an unsafe situation. I've seen it so many times just in my drive up and down, you know, just seeing how the cops create so many hazards. And it's just amazing how they're never there for us. To protect us from the criminals, but somehow, you know, when when it comes to the raising revenue for the state, boy, you know, that's that's what it, it's all about. Um, but but anyway, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that. You know, where are they when it comes to drunk driving? And it's funny, I saw a billboard that advertised this massive billboard from this defense attorney advertising um, how to get out of DUIs and. It just reminded me of Eileen's story. So, so yeah, I wanted to bring Eileen on today before things heat up next week more with some of these issues on the courts and immigration. But ultimately, this ties into it because uh, I wanted you to benefit from this before I'm fully up to speed and just kind of bloviate on issues that I'm really not not even not even up to probably where you guys are at this point because I'm just still cap, you know catching up on the news. But before we bring on Eileen, I, ju I just wanted to say this. This week, we celebrated the 242nd anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Now, as you guys well know from my book, Stolen Sovereignty, I'm a big declaration guy. 
as the more foundational principle than even the Constitution. You, know, you look at the Declaration, and just in the 201 words of the preamble, that was, it was the final draft was written by Jefferson. Obviously, it was uh, put together by the Committee of Five after Richard Henry Lee uh, put forth the resolution for independence actually two days prior on July 2nd. But we celebrate not just the independence, which was two days prior. We celebrate the document. The document, it was drafted again by this committee of five. It was um, John Adams, Roger Sherman, Robert Livingston, Benjamin Franklin, and obviously Thomas Jefferson. Really, in these 201 words, I've gleaned six principles from them that together – give you an understanding of the underpinnings underpinnings of the government, why we have a government, what is the job of government, and where does it derive its powers from. So number one, individuals are born with natural rights that come from God, not from some sort of historical precedent or English common law or you know the whims of judges. Number two, that chief among those natural rights given by God are what? Their life, liberty, and pursuit of hap- happiness, obviously not guaranteed happiness. Um, and implicit in that is the natural right to self-defense. You know, Sam Adams always said that, and and he took this really from the Massachusetts rights of um, Declaration of Rights. That among the natural rights of colonists are these: first, the right to life; second, to liberty; thirdly, to property. Quote together with the right to defend them in the best manner they can. Principle number three. Individuals form a government as a social compact to protect those unalienable rights from existing threats. Four, that as it relates to issues not affecting unalienable rights, government may exercise other just powers, primarily for the safety and stability of the society, but only by the consent of the people as expressed through some sort of legitimate form of government that's republican in nature. And, and, you know, Madison has always explained that, that all the powers have to derive <clears throat> directly or indirectly from the people. Inherent in this principle is that no outside force, not controlled by the members of the society itself, may determine the destiny of that society. It's this fourth principle, the stolen sovereignty, that's the foundation of my book and the article I have coming out today. Number five, and <clears throat> we'll go through this <clears throat> briefly. I just didn't get to give my annual July 4th uh, a presentation, so I figured we'd do it now before bringing on Eileen. But number five, that all men were created equal with regard to access and defense of those unalienable rights. Again, not outcomes, privileges, or any other human pursuits, just equal access to those unalienable rights. And implicit in the preamble is that all members of a given society are equal in the right to self-governance in their respective society within their territories that we divide up into states. And then finally, number six, that when a long train of abuses and usurpations of the aforementioned principles continue without any other recourse, although it's not the best (coughs) course of action, if that's the only one, then all the people have the right, indeed a duty, to rebel against the existing system. We have a government not to get involved in healthcare and distort the market and inflate prices, not to get involved in agriculture, certainly not at a federal level. We have a government primarily to protect the rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Um, Even those of us that believe in limited government understand you actually need some happy medium of government to ensure that indeed you have those rights. Otherwise, you have anarchy. So the the first 
element of government is that it was created to protect those rights and that that government is created by the consent of the governed. So you have individual sovereignty in there and you have national sovereignty. And obviously implicit in the right to individual sovereignty, as Sam Adams mentioned, is the right to defend them. There's also a right to national self-defense for the national society to protect against invaders. We have a government now that does the exact opposite. It gets involved in everything else that it shouldn't get involved in. And then the core job of protecting Americans at a federal level, primarily from external threats, at a state level, um, from domestic violence and domestic crimes, by and large, as, as we've noticed, noted on this program for a number of weeks, when you, conf- when you conflate together the issues of immigration and criminal justice – Government is not only out to lunch, but has flipped the governing pyramid on its head. You know, when you have people like our next guest, Eileen Smith, who are victims of illegal immigration, obviously a lot of people who suffer a tragedy are looking automatically to government to address their grievance. Um, they want to pass some sort of legislation. They they want to get out their grievance, their grieving through, you know, memorializing the legacy of their deceased by trying to do something. But, you know, often what happens is not avoidable. Bad stuff happens in life, and there's a limit limit to what government can do to protect all people from getting killed or, or from dying. On the other end of that spectrum are, are cases that are 100% avoidable and redressable and are directly related to government policies. You know, Eileen Smith and her husband, Zach Smith, they were traveling to a baby shower for their seven-month um, pregnant baby. It was a, fe- a seven-month-old p- fetus uh, from Colorado Springs. They were going to California. And on the way in New Mexico, they were hit by an illegal alien, Ramon Hernandez, who was in the country illegally since 2000 um, on an overstayed visa. And this was on June 10th, 2012, just uh, past the six-year marker. And this illegal traveling with someone else in the car as well crashed into them. And, you know, she was severely injured, uh, taken to a hospital. Uh, the baby was born on the spot, Dimitri, and, and died pretty much within a minute. And, you know, the thing is, this illegal alien had roughly eight arrests for DUI. He was, he of course pled down, which is a whole story in itself on a number of cases, but was still convicted at least three times prior for DUI. And he even had his license suspended on the final one in 2003, but was still in the state of New Mexico illegally for another nine years until he wound up killing Dimitri Smith, this unborn baby of Eileen and Zach. And, you know, you, you think about this and your first thought is, okay, well, we know New Mexico was a big sanctuary because of the politics there. But how in the world, after a guy is arrested and then convicted so many times for DUI, is he still in the country? Well, these are the stories you don't hear about. These are the people permanently separated from their children. And these are the Americans for whom the government is responsible for. We now have a government in upheaval over what to do about the illegal invaders. And yes, they are invaders. I don't have enough time to talk about all the MS-13 gangsters coming into this country. But you see it in my Twitter feed every day, all the stories we see that the media doesn't report on. And rather than be concerned about the victims 
of illegal immigrants, again, for whom the society created a government to protect us. We didn't create a society to protect illegal aliens. And then also, just in general, even without illegal immigration, just the issue of DUIs in general, it's not covered enough in the media. The the laws coddle them. There's no reason why after a second or third charge, there shouldn't be mandatory jail time. Because, you know, roughly 80% reoffend. This is such an avoidable crime. But certainly when you put together repeat offender DUIs together with a repeat offender criminal alien, this was so, so sad and avoidable. I wanted you to hear from a victim today that you're not going to hear from elsewhere that doesn't have a media apparatus George Soros organizations funneling them with money to travel the country, pitch their cause, promote legislation. Um, And then just so you understand what it means not just to suffer from it, uh, from the trauma of losing a kid to an avoidable crime, but then to actually seek justice, how many years it takes to land a conviction. And this applies even without the context of immigration. It's so hard to land a conviction. Uh, we've talked about this criminal justice reform mantra, how, you know, if anything, we have an under-conviction, under-incarceration problem. I want you to glean from the story today that thesis we've been putting forth the last number of weeks. But before I go on forever and, you know, <laughs> overshadow our guest when I don't have a voice myself, I want to bring on to the first for the first time to the conservative conscience – our guest, Eileen Smith. Hey, Eileen, are you on the line? I am. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. I'm really glad to be here. And yeah, and thanks for listening to that whole uh, foundation there. But I really felt it was important for people to understand this. If you could kind of take us to maybe the minute after, the day after this happened, June 10th, 2012, what was your first reaction when you realized that this tragedy was caused? by someone who was A, in the country illegally, and B, just how avoidable it was in terms of the fact that he had so many prior convictions? Um, so I was uh, still in the hospital at uh, St. Vincent's there in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. We Our crash was in Las Vegas, New Mexico, where I was uh, transported by ambulance to the hospital. I was there for a few days. Um, and, uh, you know, between a barrage of people coming in, nurses, doctors telling me that, uh, I was lucky to be alive. I likely won't ever have kids again. Um, we did have police officers coming into the uh, room where I was staying, saying that um, Ramon Hernandez had so many priors that um, they didn't get a roadside sobriety test because they were worried about me pinned inside of the SUV. Um in addition to that, that he had been driving on a suspended revoked license for over a decade. And, had never had any actual jail time. Um, New Mexico didn't have mandatory minimum sentencing as far as jail time for DWI goes. So he spent, I think it was a whopping four days in jail um, when he could have been spending over 10 years. So, um, you know, this was just entirely preventable. It was absolutely horrific, you know, getting to hold Dimitri for um, the few minutes that I was able to, before needing to give him off to OMI uh, and not seeing him again until the funeral uh, was it was just horrific, absolutely horrific. This this kind of thing is a hundred percent preventable. 
um, you know, given that he shouldn't have even been in the country in the first place. Did they even tell you that he was here illegally? I mean, how did you find that out? Because I, right. I don't see that so, in any of the articles. So um, one of the officers that actually had helped open my SUV um, told us that he was illegal and that he had, you know, X number of prior convictions and, um, you know, X number of arrests, but he had actually pled down to avoid further DWI convictions. So, um, yes, that was that was relayed to us by the um, police force. So I, I want to get back to this point, you know, a little bit later in the program, the redressability aspect of this, the fact that um, it was it was avoidable two times over, both, again, from a repeat DUI offender perspective, even even for Americans. I mean, this should be prevented. It's so preventable. Um, you know, right. I, you take their license away after a couple times, and certainly that you should have mandatory minimums. But certainly the fact that he, he, you know, even if you're pro-legal immigrant, I mean, certainly once someone does something as dangerous as driving with, you know, two tons of steel inebriated, which we, we just, you know, they, they call low-level offenders, um, but really, you know, the, they aren't very low level. Obama granted 20,000 illegal DUI convictees, and you can imagine how many were arrested but pled down, DACA status. So, the, you know, they consider that a very low level offense, but really, as we see, it, it actually kills. But I want to I wanna go a step further beyond that. Okay, so, you know, I, I certainly could never relate to that magnitude of tragedy. But then you figure, all right. Once the guy finally kills someone, that's it. You know, open and shut. You lock them up. Could you just give? And I know this is a <laughs> this is a three four year saga. Um, so this happened in June of 2012. How right. long did it take to even land a conviction? What, give our listeners some sense of what it's like to be a victim seeking justice. How it's not like the prosecutor will do all the work for you, and you never have to you know show your face oh, in court. Sure. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, let's see, we just avoided retrial, um, which was scheduled for Valentine's Day, so February of this, uh, earlier this year. Uh, so it's been roughly, what at that point had been five and a half years, um, going on six years. Uh, it takes a long, long time, especially because in our situation, Ramon Hernandez never admitted to being the driver until after he was Mirandized and asked for his attorney. And that's where things start to get complicated. Um, he uh, Apparently, the only English he knew was saying that he was a passenger. <laughs> and that's how he avoided being um, given a, a field sobriety test there at the scene of the, of the crash. Uh, he told the police officers that he was just the passenger, that the actual driver had fled the vehicle. And um, so all hands were on me, who was pinned in my SUV uh, in the throes of labor. <laughs> okay. So um, it was uh, really interesting that he knew already how to work this system in his favor and kind of um, just run everyone down into the ground until they were just too tired to have anything to fight with, really. Um, Ramon Hernandez uh, was arrested, um, taken to the police station at which point he was Mirandized in Spanish and um, continued, the police continued to question him and interrogate him, of which he then asked for uh, uh, his attorney and admitted to being the driver. But that was after he was Mirandized. So it wasn't admissible in court. 
And it was almost like he knew these kinds of rules. He knew that um, this was how the legal system goes, and this is the kind of things that he needs to say um, in order to, you know, walk away from a situation like this. Wow. Wow. So right away he knew that. And, and I, I spoke to Jessica Vaughn, our resident expert on interior enforcement on immigration. And, and she told me when I told her about this case, she said it's very, very common um, that they behave this way. They understand the system. They flee the scene or, you know, in this case, the other guy did. Right. And yeah. Uh, they yeah, they know exactly how to game it out. Uh, but ultimately, DNA evidence proved that this guy um, couldn't have been in the passenger seat and the guy that fled and later died, I guess, couldn't have been in the driver's seat. So he was convicted right. after a whole saga. Now, I, I, I'm just again, I just want people to understand the logistics here of how hard it is to be a victim, um, how how when you're a politically correct victim of what's called gun violence, which, by the way, usually they're victims of weak criminal justice laws because they're repeat offenders. There's nothing to do with the gun. But then, you know, you'll have organizations helping you out. But I'm assuming you had to travel down from Colorado to New Mexico every time at your own expense. And you had to be on the witness stand. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I was um, for both the magistrate uh, trial and then uh, um, criminal trial. I was uh, taken to the stand for both of those things. My husband as well. Um, We had to you know, be in constant contact with our attorneys. I don't think that even if I could work, mind you, I was disabled in the crash. Um, Even if I could work, I probably wouldn't have been able to because I was in constant contact with our attorneys. Anytime, you know, a 505 area code rang my phone, I had to pick it up. Um, So it was, uh, it was extremely draining, both physically, emotionally, and financially, um, having to go down there in front of those costs. Mind you, the um, the court system does reimburse you later, but, I mean, it's, it is weeks and weeks later. So if you're, you know, living hand-to-mouth, kind of paycheck-to-paycheck, you better have a cushion because you won't be able to make your subpoena <laughs> if you uh, if you can't pay your bills. You know, it's a... Uh, it's, I was thankful that um, that we were able to make it through because it was it was scary. A lot of times it was scary of how we would just make the court date and our day to day life. Well, what was it like just being in the courtroom uh, with that individual, Ramon Hernandez, seeing him, you know, throughout that period of time? I mean, this dragged on for months. It took, what, you know, 18 months to land the conviction what was it like to be in the courtroom with him? Um, I tried to not look at him for one thing. He refused to take the stand because he didn't want to um know oh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, give away any information that he didn't want out. Sure. Um it was very difficult uh being in front of a jury of peers um in such a small town. I mean, I remember understanding that uh, some of the people that were on the jury were actually people convicted for DWI by that same <laughs> prosecutor. So this is the small town mentality is no one wants to, you know, dine out their neighbor because it's going to make it awkward the next time they see him at the liquor store. So it's, uh, it really is, um, it's very different. So, um, you know, we tried our best to, uh, to stick with the process and really, um, you know, see it through in in the most effective way possible. For us, at least, um, 
part of the trial was was really trying in that uh, you know so much of it hung on how Ramon Hernandez was Mirandized and what was allowed in front of the jury. His like his prior convictions or even his admission to being the driver was not allowed uh, to be stated in front of the jury. Wow. Um, and then for Dimitri's end of it, um, it was if Dimitri was actually a person because of the personhood law in uh, New Mexico. So personhood law there being so steep and his, um, you know, case being so delicate, we really did have to jump through a lot of hoops to just prove that Dimitri had rights at all, let alone for Ramon Hernandez's side, proving that his rights weren't violated. So um, it really was, it was tilted against you for sure. No, exactly. And, and again, I want our listeners to understand, you know, just even before we get to immigration, putting that aside, just in the general criminal justice system, you know, it's hard enough with the baseline legitimate Fourth, Fifth Amendment rights, obviously presumption of innocence that, you know, you could have a woman that is raped, a person who's murdered, their relative is murdered, uh, you know, the worst type of crimes. But obviously, if you want to seek justice, you know, the guy is presumed innocent. You, you have to prove it. So it's hard enough that you have to go through the process, the emotional drain, the um, trauma, and then the, the legal costs. You know, it's not like the prosecutor could do everything for you. You, you, you had to hire your own attorneys. Um, the time right. off of, of work, obviously you were disabled, but I'm sure your husband had to take off a lot. And But then you have all the BS due process that we've talked about on the show so much, how the the Fourth Amendment has transmogrified into this beast. Uh, Miranda Miranda rights are obviously not in the Constitution. They're invented by the Warren-era Supreme Court. Um, And then all sorts of exclusionary rules, so, so hard to land a conviction. But finally, okay, roughly two years later, um, a jury of his peers does convict him. Um, he's sentenced to nine years in prison. They skirted the DUI charge, but you know bodily harm, um, forms of manslaughter, got nine years. And then a year or so later, so what? So the, uh, the, the his lawyer, who really made a name for himself afterwards on getting people cleared on DUIs, went ahead and succeeded in getting the appeals court to call for a mistrial. So what what was the end? Because I want to kind of get to the point of why you're speaking out now and how you didn't even have some degree of closure until fairly recently. Sure. Um, If I could add one more thing also about um, the uh, civil pursuit in this. We did try and sue him civilly. Um, You know, we hired a really well-known attorney firm in that area and – they agreed to take our case on, of which Ramon Hernandez had nothing to collect on. Um, it wasn't even his car that he was driving. I guess it was his girlfriend's car at the time, um, of which there w- they had no car insurance. So we actually had to end up suing my insurance company for them to pay out, um, including Dimitri, as though Dimitri was a third person in the car. Um, the medical debt being so large in this, I thought that that was really appropriate to hire an attorney. Sure. Our attorney was so grieved by this that they found themselves unable to actually do anything with it. We got shuffled to the bottom of the pile. So all of my medical debt went on to collection agencies, wow. of which then I, when I got on my attorney saying this really, you know, something needs to be done about this. 
um, instead of negotiating on how much we need to pay the hospitals back, now we're negotiating how much interest I need to pay these collection agencies. <laughs> so that's oh part gosh. of the you know, absolute financial ruin that it puts you in. Um, you know, because absolutely people are, you know, saddened greatly to hear the, the loss of a life, let alone the loss of a, of a newborn baby. Um, but so much so that people are just rendered um, at a standstill, that they can't even go forward with it. And so that's why I feel like I can come out now and say it, because my son, and he matters, and his life matters. And it still affects our family greatly, thinking that, you know, we would need that addition to our family, and he is still very missed. So, um, you know, at this point, I don't see any reason to not come forward and see these things through. Sure. And so basically, you know, rather than going through a whole nother trial based on a technicality, um, when, you know, it was known he did it, the DNA evidence proved he was convicted, um, he, he wound up entering into a plea bargain. He pled guilty, um, being the driver, obviously, as he was. And then because he was illegal, he was just deported. It took a whole nother year, year and a half to want to, to deport him. That's a whole nother story how long it right. takes to deport these guys. Finally, just recently, he was deported. And then – so you know that's some closure at least from that angle. He spent a couple of years in jail. Um, but then you know the way I, I discovered you on social media and during this whole barrage of news about – how cruel we're being as if we're going down to Honduras um, and just separating people when we're just right. minding our own business, protecting ourselves. Um, you know, the families, the families, the families. And how does it make you feel when you see and, – and you know this. You're not the only one, but there's no real support network. You could Google this. You see this every single week. The, the, the illegal drunk driving is an epidemic um, you know, I just know in 2015 when the House Judiciary Committee released data on how many people the Obama's ICE released, not sanctuary cities. Back then, the feds were releasing criminal aliens from custody. 13,000 cumulative DUI convictions among them just in one fiscal year. So you see how ubiquitous it is. And as you noted, they have no property. They're, they're not attached to the country. There's nothing to sue. You're, you're, you're you know, you're basically left with nothing to sue. Um, how does it make you feel when you see that there is the weight of what Attorney General Sessions says are the masters of the universe on behalf of illegals, but nobody on behalf of the the families permanently separated, the Americans, for whom the government must protect? It's absolutely mind-boggling, some of these people who quite literally approach the victims of murder and ask them to be reasonable. It's lunacy that these people think that um, we're just wholesale anti-immigrants, you know, that we just kind of swallow it whole like that. Um, It's partially infuriating. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I have to, I have to uh, be careful with myself on Twitter um, that I don't get caught down that rabbit hole of uh, retweeting and, and uh, um, you know, commenting on people who just say the most, uh, you know, ostentatious things. Um, so 
it's heartbreaking to um to see so many angel moms coming forward. I didn't even know that there was a uh, formalized organization for this you know group of people that I am in or that I belong to um, until very very recently. I don't I don't know that it was quite formalized in the way that it is today back in 2012 when our crash occurred. Um, I think part of it also has to do with how we phrase these things. Um, like you mentioned earlier, that it's just kind of a, considered to be a lesser crime because it is so prolific across the board in the United States. Um, but more so than that, how we phrase it to just be, well, it's a crash, it's an accident. Um, I really think that that affects how people view these kinds of situations. Um it's terrible. It's a terrible situation. And, we, and there has to be something done about it. There has to be someone to speak up on behalf of Americans who are losing their lives um, because we don't want to come down harshly on illegal uh, criminal activity. No, I mean, and again, this gets back to the Declaration of Independence. It's it's governance by the consent of the governed. Um, you don't need to do anything really special. It's the fact that no one could be admitted to a society without the consent of the, that society. And the reality is, you know, there's a certain amount of crime that's going to be committed, and we understand that. And you know, we understand everything ultimately comes from God. But what's so difficult here is they're all avoidable crimes. As Jeff Sessions always says, these are all avoidable. But particularly with DUIs, I would argue a certain number of them are avoidable even among Americans. Again, if we actually deterred the behavior with mandatories. Um, but you were, you were told right away let, – again, let's put immigration aside because I saw the news articles. They never mentioned the guy's immigration status. You never even talked about that until very recently. Um, throughout the entire saga, it was all your activism was all just related to DUI. You worked with Mothers Against Drunk Driving, um, just to to focus on raising awareness to this problem and you know trying to deter repeat offenders. And even then, you were told what you were told that mandatories was a non-starter for repeat right. offenders. So we um, we partnered with the governor's office there in New Mexico that. Um, we wanted to see stiffer DWI laws. Mind you, they vary from state to state, but New Mexico has horrible DWI laws. I had no idea um, that they detailed out into the eighth or ninth offense. There's literally no difference between eight and 18. Um, you know, and, and uh, I know Governor Martinez had talked about needing to prosecute out to 19, 20 offenses. Um, the, the people like that are making a lifestyle choice at that point. It's really not you know, something that they even think about doing anymore. Um, so, right, when we uh, tried to detail out what we call Dimitri's Law, again, it was a seven-tier bill that we tried to roll out uh, in, in different legislative sessions, um, we were told that we could not have mandatory minimum sentencing because it was unconstitutional, <laughs> and then it would get shot down. Mind you, you know, it's a you know, couple of Republicans trying to go up against a uh, purely Democrat um, House, and no one wanted to even touch it. No one wanted to have any part of it because it was Republicans submitting something to Democrats, and they just didn't want to listen. Unfortunately, this really does become a party issue where it doesn't need to be one. Exactly. This is what I don't understand. I mean, it just – what people don't understand that mandatory minimums uh, – actually, people do understand. It's the political class that doesn't understand. 
they serve as deterrents. Now, people that challenge that deterrent, you have to be willing to pull the trigger and ultimately convict them and sentence them to the the jail time. But you know, these people want to avoid jail time at all costs, and they view this as such a low level crime. Oh, I, we have too many low-level offenders in prison, and really, this right. always leads to death at the end at some point if they're going to continue doing it. Um, you know, wherever you want to draw the line, number two, number three, certainly number four, there's got to be mandatory. Certainly, um, no appetite for that. But then to bring back the immigration status stuff, so that was never brought in there. My understanding is you worked with a PR firm, and then they dropped you when you started talking about immigration. Right. So um, I wasn't actually talking about immigration like on air, um, but it was something that I was bringing up in kind of our um, discussions and and strategy, trying to uh, um, make the most out of the time that we did have on air. So immediately after the crash, I think within a few weeks, I started a change.org petition and I reached out to the governor's office um, to see how we could partner and see some things change. Uh, through that, we found the PR firm that picked us up. Um, I thought very, very nice of them to do. I don't want to, you know, just speak ill of them sure. uh, because they did all of their work for us for free, which I, I greatly appreciate. Um, through that, we did get a lot of media attention, CNN, um, oh boy, um, Associated Press, I mean, National Media News. It really was uh, Albuquerque Journal, um, lots and lots of news coverage and some of it even nationwide. Um, but no one wanted to hear the illegal immigrant aspect to this case. Um, in fact, CNN had uh, coached what our response should be if that kind of information accidentally came out. <laughs> and so um, some of that you know, became the, the most talking point. And at the time, I begrudgingly agreed to it um, because... You know, they do have a point in saying that it's not just illegals who are drunk driving. Um, But because it is the illegal in our situation, uh, that makes this so much more preventable. Yeah, he could have been deported um, so many, so many times. Right, right. Um, So, you know, part of the first leg of this, at least, was heavily focusing on the DWI aspect of things. Um, And I felt after a while that it was just... um, only half representing what had actually happened to us. So that's when I started, you know, coming out on my own, just, you know, hunting people down on Twitter. Sorry. (laughs) Um, That, uh, you know, this was an illegal. And um, the fact that my son had less rights, seemingly less rights than, um, than an illegal did is just, is just heartbreaking. And I think people need to know about it. This is a, this is an area that can, certainly be fixed. No, absolutely. And and in show notes for our listeners, I'm going to link to the testimony of my friend Jessica Vaughn a couple years ago um, before a House committee. Uh, and this is actually a bill, you know, we should work on together off air, but this is a, a bill that would basically impose a zero tolerance. Anyone who is <clears throat> known to be here illegally that has been arrested for a DUI, boom, and mandates ICE apprehension. They should be out of here. I mean, everyone should agree to that. Um, you know, if, if the liberals want to say, look, oh, the, there's people that are valedictorians and doing great things. Well, you certainly can't say that about someone doing something so dangerous. 
and everyone should agree to that. So she has great testimony on this, that this is a very pervasive problem among that population. But moreover, like you said, it's it's all avoidable. And, and what's so amazing is the same political hacks who love illegal immigrants are the ones that are also weak in general on the criminal justice system. Again, blowing up the Fourth Amendment to something that it never was. All the exclusionary rules, the 10,000 different ways that that defense attorneys have to get them out of these crimes, the problem is they always plead down. So therefore, it is really – it's very hard to avoid them or take them off the streets and avoid having them commit another crime and eventually killing someone, which is why when you have an illegal immigrant, it's really the most important detail because you don't have to land a conviction if you're not trying to – uh, convict a guy for a criminal offense and lock him up. You just deport him. Um, that's an extension of sovereignty now. The left obviously is trying to add due process for that, divorce from 200 years of case law. Um, but but that's what I find amazing. So we're, we're going to link to that testimony in the show. Um, you know, just last week near my hometown in, in central Maryland, Annapolis, there was another tragic attack. Someone who had a personal vendetta with the Capital Gazette and came in and massacred a few people. And, you know, right away, the left is always wants to make it about the gun. The important detail is the gun. You know, like the, the detail they want to avoid in your case is immigration status. The detail they want to accentuate here is the gun. And what's amazing is you learn a little bit more. This was another case where the guy actually was stalking people before. Um, but rather than being convicted <clears throat> for stalking, which would have been a felony, it would have prevented him from getting a gun. It was pled down to misdemeanor because, again, like I think you're presenting in this case, even a, a clear case where someone murders your kid and you know he did it. It's so it's so hard to land a conviction. You ultimately always have to plead down. Um, you know. I, I look at the landscape here, and, and my concern is that there's so many more people like you. I read them as stories, you know, in the news. But in your case, it was one of the first times I actually got, got to know the victim and just see the personal story behind it. I find it interesting that you know all these again the politically correct, the right sort of victim. If they could pin it as a victim of gun violence, you have everything you need: medical bills, lawyers. Um, advocacy, whatever you want. I'm assuming there's nobody really there for you to push a Dimitri-style legislation, Dimitri's law, um, something like what we're talking about, mandating ICE apprehension of illegal DUIs, or even to push on a state level, putting even putting aside immigration status, just mandatories for repeat DUI offenders. I'm assuming there's really no one you have to turn to now. At this point, no, because, uh, you know, again, um, the illegal the involved, you know, the illegal factor in my uh, in my situation. No, I don't have anyone on this side <laughs> to to help me. Um, I thought I did prior to, um, you know, as long as I omitted uh, that he was an illegal. I thought maybe I had a, a better support system, but literally the minute that it was mentioned, I was dropped. So. And, and, and again, just to reiterate, what you were pushing originally. You know, on a state level, had nothing to do with even challenging New Mexico's sanctuary status, which is everything here. Um, right. It, you know, right. you weren't you weren't pushing that. No, um, New Mexico was a sanctuary state up until 2011. So our crash happened just in the aftermath of that. He was left there 
um, still in the aftermath of having been a sanctuary state. I don't think that that sort of thing should fly at all. But, um, you know, here we are. So, um, you know, other places like San Francisco or even now, I think all of California is becoming a sanctuary state. I know there's a few counties here in Colorado where I live that are a sanctuary. And uh, it's very concerning that um, people would flock to that area knowing that they could take advantage of the system, take advantage of the law, and not have to change their behavior. No, no. And and, and the, the picture you're painting that's very disturbing is – Whereas this should be the most redressable public policy case. Again, you know, someone's son is murdered. Um, the status of, of the guy who did it doesn't matter in terms of the pain, the morality. But what does matter is based on what we're talking about in terms of public policy. What is redressable and what is not? We can't stop all pain and evil on this earth. But when it comes to illegal immigrants committing crimes, especially repeat offenders, the first time they're caught, they should – always be given over to ICE. I mean, this is what even even Democrats of yesterday, yesteryear always said they didn't want criminal aliens. And yet, you know, that's not dealt with. And then even on a drunk driving level, you said that they did not want to deal with mandatories at all. So to tell us a little bit about what you were pushing in New Mexico um, with Dimitri's Law and what ultimately happened. Sure. Um, so one more thing about um – it being a sanctuary state, if I could just have one more second on that. Um, going through our trial, we were made aware that there was a large problem with cases on the spot being thrown out and ICE not being there to take the person away, even if you had an immigration hold on them, um, because ICE and the police force don't tend to work in, um, in sync with one another. So, it's happened more than once that um, someone who had their case thrown out would then be released back out into society saying, all right, immigration will come and pick you up in a couple of days, go home. And when immigration comes to pick them up, they're not home. No, they're nowhere to be found. So I, that was one thing that I really had to stay on top of was, um, you know, calling his PO or, you know, the, the detention center at least and saying, you know, he is going to a court date this day. If it gets thrown out, he needs to be detained until immigration can pick him up. Send an immigration down, you know, officer down to the courthouse. So in case that happens, he's not gone because he was a huge flight risk. And, and, and by the way, for our listeners, you're seeing this in the news all over the place in California and many other sanctuary states where they're preventing ICE from going into the courtrooms. This was a big thing in the news a couple of weeks ago. So you're actually describing a very specific case of a consummate flight risk um, who could flee, and that is why it is so important they're there. And no, I mean that that is that is a huge point, and and obviously it ties into the broader issue we're discussing nationally uh, about catch and release. The fact that these people are, you know, once they're released, you know, an American um, who you don't detain. Nine, nine out of ten times, more than that, 99 out of 100, unless they leave the country, and even then it's kind of hard, you're going to get them. Here, we don't have anything on them, as the left always says, they're undocumented. And 
you know, so whereas if you do the right thing and follow our immigration laws and follow the Constitution, it's the most redressable and avoidable crime. But whereas now because of the politics that illegals are now a protected class and they're a consummate flight risk, they're even harder to deal with than, than you know, a regular perpetrator. Absolutely. Um, so what we put forward with Dimitri's law, um, at least for the state of New Mexico, they had a, a myriad of problems. Uh, one of which was when you were released from jail, you know, say you spent a weekend in jail, which was very common. Um, you would get your vehicle back and they would ask you to go put a breathalyzer system on the car at you know your own expense, right? But they were also left to their own recognizance to do this, which no one's going to do that. <laughs> so that was one of the things that we pushed with Dimitri's law. Uh, for people convicted of drunk driving, at least, that they would um, uh, not get their car back until breathalyzer had already been put on it. So they had to put that money up front, have a government contract with the companies that, you know, uh, install the things. Um, and you have only, you know, uh, I think it was 30 days, 30 or 60 days to do it. Otherwise, your car would be auctioned off to the benefit of the state. We thought this is a great money maker. Um, this is a great way to, you know, be a little bit tougher on the enforcement of DWI, that there are serious repercussions to it. It's not just, you know, you sit a weekend in jail and then you get your car back, you know, skip the fine and you're not really affected at all. Um, but no one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to do anything about it. Again, Dimitri's law mainly focused on the DWI aspect of it because it did not include the illegal aspect of it didn't include and, and even on the DUI aspect didn't include any mandatory minimums. It was just like you said, um, <clears throat> this automatic impounding of the cars where they have to install this device. Otherwise, um, it gets auctioned off within 30 or 60 days. It gives them an opportunity to make money. Um, Governor Susana Martinez was was pushing that as part of her legislative agenda. And of course, the Democrat controlled ha- House of uh, <clears throat> Delegates, their House of Representatives. Uh, blocked it, so you couldn't even get that done. Um, no. And y- y- you know, I-, I just think about this, and there's nobody, th- there's nobody there. And-, and and again, you have the weight of corporate America. You have the media. You have every single Hollywood figure going through every detention center now, trying to let out illegals. You have them, you know, even divorced from immigration policy, just general criminal justice. The um, Kim Kardashian initiative now to go in every prison and try to find people who you think we should let out, you know, give a pardon to. And nobody, nobody is going to the victims. Who could I help? Um, Not from low level offenses, people that had family members murdered, raped, armed robbery to try to clear those convictions, um, you know, where, where, some cases we couldn't land a conviction. Maybe we could help with legal help to to try to convict them where it doesn't implicate you know the Fifth Amendment, double jeopardy. There's a lot of ways of doing that. Nothing, no groups, no organizations, no media. And I'm assuming you know, and I know you you've been watching the Parkland you know the coverage of the media. I'm assuming you didn't really have fawning media coverage um, for what you wanted to do. Oh, absolutely not. No. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, news interviews I did was there on CNN, where I was literally asked if I could forgive him. Literally, all they do is come to the victims of people who have lost loved ones to illegals and ask them to be reasonable. It's disgusting. 
I mean, this is how far the politics has gone in our country, that if something implicates a certain political view, it just – it, 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 it just it, it's mind boggling to me. Again, this is such a big problem. Um, and, you know, look, I've been on record for a long time. Just my views on crime in general without immigration. We need to get tougher on DUIs. This is something I'd love to push more with you. I, I really, you know, like I said, um, Eileen, I think we needed Dimitri's law again to, to mandate ICE apprehensions for all legal DUI uh, arrests to make um, even legal immigrants that are convicted of maybe repeat DUIs, deportable. Uh, I also think we need a private right of action where victims could sue sanctuary states <coughs> for um, for cases like this. It was in a bill <coughs> that many of us are, are pushing, but leadership stripped out that provision and or, or really weakened it. Uh, this is something we need to do. Heck, I, th I think we need to create a new organization, and I certainly want to talk to you more about that. But first off, I just want to plug again. Um, you know, you guys hear the fact that there, there is no PR help, <clears throat> there is no media help, there's no monetary help to go and push for legislation, and then you know, there's the medical bills and everything. So, where could people go to help your cause um, and and help pay pay some of your bills? Uh, you know, for the longest time, my husband and I have just you know done the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, it's kind of how we function as on a whole. Um, but we do still have a lot of outstanding medical debt that is um, ever growing with the interest rates. Uh, we started a GoFundMe page, uh, GoFundMe uh, Justice for Dimitri. Dimitri spelt with all eyes. Um, and there you see the picture of, of me holding him. That was uh, just before I handed him over to OMI. Um, that would that would help a lot with um, just getting free from the financial ruin of all of this. That would help tremendously. Yep, because there, there, there is nowhere to turn when you don't have a politically correct situation of no fault of your, you know, we hear the dreamers of oh, the, 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 the hopes and aspirations of the dreamers of no fault of their own. And we never hear the, the, the deaths at the hands of illegals to American families, the permanent separation, and certainly the financial cost of, of all of us really, um, you know, of no fault of our own home of, of, of our own. We're, we're going to have at a conservative review some some data on the fiscal cost of these unaccompanied alien children, many of whom turned out to be um, MS-13 members. But yes, justice for Dimitri, the GoFundMe page will be in our show notes. Um, look, Eileen, I, I could go on forever about this, but I know uh, you, you, you got to get, get back to your, your two boys. Um, just one final question. I really want to hear this from you. Um, not non-political, you know, I, I, I have three boys We're we're almost at a, at a similar stage of life and they, I, I love them to death, but there's times when I, you know, I, I just went on vacation all week with them and I've had my fill of them. I feel like throwing them out the window sometimes and everyone gets frustrated. <laughs> Could you tell us, you know, just in general, what perspective being a parent, having two boys afterwards and boys are tougher generally, I, at least in my view. What is this this loss in your family done to give you perspective just on parenting in general and and maybe patience with kids that some of us struggle to have? Um, so I was told uh, when I was still in the hospital there in New Mexico that I wouldn't likely have children again. Um, and I, I was, what, 25? Um, I was devastated. And uh, I wanted to try again immediately. My husband was a little apprehensive about that. 
Um, but we did. And um, once I was cleared from my doctor to try, he said, you know, we'll try. You probably won't be able to carry. You might experience, you know, some further loss. Um, but, you know, if you can get pregnant, then we will do our best to, to see it through. So um, within a year, I had um, Asa, who just turned five, <laughs> and um, he's actually born, what, two days before Dimitri's yard site. So his birthday even is a little so be, be, bit of a mixed so bag. Five, five years, almost the day when, when Dimitri was killed by this illegal, and and then you have a, a second, you had a second boy as well, right? So actually, uh, it's the other way around. Um, Asa just turned five. Dimitri would have been six. So within a year of the crash. Does that make sense? Well, a year of the crash. And was he born with any – my understanding is that you had residual health problems. Was he born with right. any, any health problems? So um, I – from the crash, I broke my sternum in two places. I had mass internal bleeding. I ruptured my abdominal wall, my uterine wall. The doctor literally said that I turned my body into Swiss cheese was the words that he used. Oh, my. Um, so I had a lot of problems from the crash. Um, as a result of that, I had a preemie. Asa was six weeks early, um, born um, at a pretty healthy weight for a preemie, born four pounds, nine ounces, um, and he was all right. Um, my subsequent son after that, Justice, um, he had what's called asymmetrical intrauterine growth restriction. <laughs> I had never heard of such a term. I didn't know it was a thing. Um, but so what had happened was his, as the placenta grew, it attached to more scar tissueing than I had from the crash. Um, and so he got to a certain size and then started to diminish as the placenta, you know, what gives them nutrients was basically useless. So Justice was born at three pounds, nine ounces, or three pounds, 12 ounces, at a full term, <laughs> was born that small. So that kind of, um, you know, curbs you a little bit as far as how you deal with them day to day now that they're out and running around. Thankfully, both of my boys don't seem to have um, any kind of long-lasting effects from that. They're both, you know, big bruisers, but... Um, <laughs> You know, as Asa starts to put it together, at least, that his brother is, his big brother is passed. Um, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's absolutely heartbreaking. I um, I actually posted on Twitter uh, when we went to visit um, Dimitri's graveside, him, you know, praying over his brother. And um, you can't help but kind of tear up a little bit. <laughs> it's uh, It's hard to see. And it's hard to, to see them put it together and, and sort of figure out what loss means to them because they see it on our faces as parents. But, um, you know, in, as far as calculating it for their own lives, it's going to be a long, um, a long road for them. Yep. And, and, and obviously, you know, the, the politicians need to see it. They need to see it more. There's nothing we can do about the situation in Honduras, Guatemala, and the economic, uh, you know, opportunities they have or don't have there um you know we we can't prevent them from separating their own families and doing callous things but what we can do is follow the declaration follow the constitution follow settled immigration law and precedent um and we're going to keep pushing this thanks for joining us for so long today it was 
been a really long show. I hope very productive um, for you, but it certainly was for me and our listeners. Um, again, go to the GoFundMe page, Justice for Dimitri. We will not stop fighting for justice for Dimitri, as well as the many other forgotten victims of illegal immigration. Uh, thanks, Eileen, and God bless you and, and, and your husband, Zach. Thank you so much, Daniel. I hope to talk to you soon. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Eileen Smith. And I'll just tell you, I am shaking with rage. I'm shaking with rage, even at some of my colleagues that that don't get this issue enough, that, that don't focus on it enough. Um, you'd hear it in my voice even more. I just barely have a voice today. But uh, yeah, I, I only asked for about a half an hour of time from her, but I gave her, you know, as much time as she was willing to take. And it was uh, I was really pleasantly surprised she had that time. I know she has her kids at home. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just really reiterate the need to help people like this out. Go to her GoFundMe page because, you know, I I offered her a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, look, I'm not promising anything, but, you know, maybe if I could set up some meetings with you and some members of Congress, maybe a senator or two, and possibly the attorney general just to tell over your story and, and so they could see the pervasiveness of this problem and and how redressable it is and and it just it really dovetails with this whole problem of avoiding prison time in general sanctuary cities with illegals the problem that there's nobody there for victims of illegal immigrants and you know she she said look I'm I'm happy to come but actually mentioned that you know it might be financially rough to take off and travel <laughs> and you know th- think about all these politically correct victims that the media will just fly them around anywhere and they don't have to worry about that. And they're obviously not looking for a cause here so much as just, I mean, preventing what is so avoidable. Think about how they always say, oh, if only one person is saved by having this random gun law. Well, what about here? And and, and again, nobody's trying to go after the car. A car is like a, a is, is no different than a bomb or a missile when you're when you're a drunk driver traveling at, at a fast speed. It's worse than a gun in many cases. Casey, it turned her uterus into Swiss cheese. You know, um, that that's what it is. But no one's even trying to go after the gun. What we're doing is to go after the perpetrator, and they're all repeat offenders. I mean, this is what happens. In general, we need to get tougher on drunk driving, but particularly because it's such a problem among the legal population, they're coddling that. All the Republican bills, much less the Democrat ones, give amnesty to these people. You know, when they say, oh, criminals won't get it, but they say, oh, no, DUI, that, that's low level. Really, low level. That's news to me. Let me know your feedback um, on this. And, and look, if you're a victim of crime, victim of illegal immigrants, whether you know immigration or not immigration related, let me know. Contact me at dharwitz at crtv.com. Tell us your story. Um, if no one else is willing to be a, be a voice, I'd certainly love to do that. Anyway, there's a lot more going on. Like I said, I, I will have full coverage at Conservative Review along with my colleagues next week. Um, tune into CRTV for our for full coverage on the Supreme Court nomination. There's a lot more going on in immigration. There's a lot more going on, by the way, on fiscal news. The Senate, before they left and before I went on vacation, passed a $900 billion farm bill that is just insane. It doesn't even have the fake work requirements that the House bill had. So they're headed with that. I mean, fiscal conservatism is out. Um and evidently cultural conservatism or national security as well. 
And that, that's a whole other thing that we need to deal with Mexico, not just from an immigration standpoint, but use all the tools of statecraft to deal with them. Because with this nutty new president that they just elected, my hope is that there will be some light in the darkness because he is so radical. Maybe that will finally force our government to stop, you know, dealing with this fake diplomacy and finally giving them ultimatums because ultimately what we do need is a buffer zone there. We need to protect Americans. Remember, this is what the Declaration of Independence is all about. And we're going to link to that article in show notes today so you can get a sense of it. But A, we are a sovereign people. Mexico, Mexicans don't get to choose our destiny. Central American bogus asylum seekers, of which 90% are ultimately denied, but most of them wind up being released into our communities. Many of them are drunk drivers among you know, worse crimes. We see sexual assaults all over the place. They don't control our destiny. The unelected judges don't control our destiny. We have the three big rights in the Declaration, life, liberty, and property, pursuit of happiness. But there's really the fourth, which is the right to popular sovereignty, governance by the consent of the governed. And we're going to continue being that voice for the victims of stolen sovereignty. Because I'll tell you, what I'm seeing now is not only are they left out in the lurch, they actually are you know, considered by the media as as bad people, anti-immigrant, you know, when really they're just trying to address something that is so, so redressable, so doesn't need to happen. Um, and it's our job to ensure that this stuff doesn't happen and that these people are deported and that we stop illegal immigration, which, you know, if you heard my show from two weeks ago, there's a very simple solution. We're going to continue pushing that. Not that anyone in the White House listens to me anymore, but, <laughs> you know, we, we got to build a fire, a brush fire for the forgotten American dreamers. And, and certainly it was an honor to hear from the mother of one dreamer, Dimitri, today. God bless you all. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back again in full force. And hopefully my voice will be in full force next week on Monday. Take care. Take care.